Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the Realist Podcast in the Dunya featuring the host of the Realist Philosophical Podcast in the Dunya, mashaAllah, Yusuf Ponder. Assalamu alaikum, bro. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. How are Alhamdulillah, ya Rabbi. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I always feel like I have to ask that at the beginning of a recording, even yeah, if yeah. I already didn't speak. Bro, bro, I made the conscious decision not to ask it because it's so repetitive. Every they don't time. know yeah, that. Yeah. They don't know that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're just they experiencing yeah. it fresh. We, we, they're gonna see, bro. They're gonna see the first episode in September. They're gonna see the next one probably a week or two after that. It's now July 10th, and they're probably like, "Wow." Um, so I got two questions. One, is your name Yusuf Ponders or Pondering Soul? Because when I found you a couple months ago. I remember use of ponders, but today I see pondering soul. So yeah, so, so when I set up the channel, I was like, I need a, a channel name. Mm-hmm. And so I, was, I, was, I went through this creative process, writing down a bunch of words associated with the sort of things I wanted to do. And then pondering soul was the end result of that. And then when I went to go and make a Twitter, it was like, ah, I can't do pondering soul because that's already been taken. So I was like, well, my name's Yusuf. You know, pondering, ponders, Yusuf ponders. So I made Yusuf ponders as the tag for um, my Twitter. And then Yusuf ponders just kind of stuck. So like when people talk to me, because it sounds more like a name, um, Yusuf ponders. Okay. People will call me Yusuf ponders. But the the YouTube channel is called Pondering Soul. Um, And then I just, I guess Yusuf ponders would be my uh quote unquote islamic name although ponders and isn't <laughs> do, you, do you mind like i don't know if this is something you're comfortable with so no, yeah, no, no. no nothing i'm not going to take it personally but you what, what name were you born with yeah so this is uh top secret information no one's privy to it so uh i, I can tell you i don't mind but, but my name's um my mum called me sean 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 yeah i got a little bit of paradigm shift you know when you like know someone you just form a, a night like a prototype in your brain yeah, name. and then you have like this identity shift now i'm just like bro sean or no i'm just yeah, so it's like when so, someone you're used to seeing someone with glasses mm-hmm. and then they take the glasses off all of a sudden and say whoa this is like a whole new person to me who's this guy see, see, sean looks like that uh that frat bro in the pics from the early episode <laughs> if, if you guys know what you know then uh, it's you, uh you saw that picture but it got me thinking and we were talking a lot about nafs and controlling our desires and yusuf mm-hmm. was a wonderful study in uh controlling one's desires and putting a law first and not being so hedonistic. Did that have anything to do with you picking that name or was it something else? No, no, no. Um, although he is, and this is completely coincidental, but the story of Yusuf alayhi salam is like one of my favorite. Um, and in terms of, you know, the, the stories of the prophets, I always really, really enjoy that particular surah. Um, but it had nothing to do with how I ended up with that name. Um, so when I took my shahada, um, I, I used to like sort of hang about with this particular friend of mine and his family are Muslim. And uh, his uncle kept asking me, what's my Muslim name? I said, I don't have one. And I didn't really want to change my name. Um, I wanted to sort of stick to the, the name that I had. I didn't like the idea of changing my name at that time. And, uh, but they kept asking me and kept asking me. And he was a nice guy and I liked him. So I said, you pick my name. And so he said, how about Yusuf? And then I was like, oh, that's funny. Because my middle name is Joseph. Um, and that's my dad's name as well, Joseph. And in Polish, Joseph is said uh, Yusuf. My mom's Polish. 
So Yusuf was like this weird combination of my dad's name said in a Polish way, but it was like my Muslim name. And uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, Yusuf sounds good. So his family just always referred to me as Yusuf. Um, but then when I ever spoke to anyone else, I always introduced myself as, uh, as Sean. And then uh, when I started the channel, originally I just wanted to sort of keep my real name and everything like out of the way and just stick to this notion of um, Yusuf Ponders and, you know, the whole personality around that. Um, so that sort of stuck and grew um, the way it did. And so now I feel more like a Yusuf than I do a Sean, but my family got, still call me we Sean. We got Sean, we got Pondering Soul, we got Yusuf Ponders, we got Lighthouse Mandarin 2 in the building. Mashallah. Yeah, Sapiens Institute. There's too many things. Sapiens Institute. Yeah, Forward Adventure Podcast. Mm. Okay, so I have two more questions. I don't want to spend too much time on this, so yeah, um, we can blaze through it and then we can go into some deep philosophy, inshallah. So number one, uh, tell me about your upbringing. So this is just family. Uh, yeah. I know you were born, uh, you know, I think Catholic, you said, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, my mum's uh, side of the family all from Poland. Uh, dad's side of the family all from Scotland. Mum's um, side of the family, sort of farmers, you know, rural areas. Um, and dad's side of the family is all like, uh, council estate which i think you just call ghettos or something but like really rough areas in, in glasgow and um they were both catholic and while i was younger my dad i mentioned in the last one uh he, he had a heroin problem so he was always in and out of prison uh eventually he passed away when i was nine and my mother was like the one that worked and brought in all the money so she was always working in restaurants and things like that and um I did go to a Catholic school and I was christened, baptized and all of that. And so I did learn about the Catholic faith. And uh, we used to go to Sunday school, which was a Polish Sunday school, um, which was centered around, you know, learning more and more about um, quote unquote proper Catholicism because uh, the Polish is sort of hev heavily Catholic. Um, so yeah, I had that for a long time, but then when my dad passed away, uh, we kind of just drifted away from religion. Um, I, to begin with, became more like my sotheist. So, like, I remember when my dad passed, um, one of the first things I was saying when I was trying to pack my bag because we were going to Scotland because we buried him there. Um, I remember getting angry and then, like, sort of arguing with God. And I was only nine at the time, so I was quite young. But I, I have a vivid memory of being on my own in my bedroom, arguing with God and sort of being angry. And, um, and then sort of that my theism, as I, I got a bit older, turned into atheism. Um, and me, my brother, we, we kind of grew up being able to do what we wanted whenever we wanted. So we had a sort of very free household. My mom was always at work. The person that did look after us was my, my grandmother from my mother's side, um, who was a little Polish woman who spoke very little English and she suffered from things like paranoid schizophrenia. So she was um, a bit of a quirky character to say the least, but uh, so she raised us, but she, um, she wasn't very, you know, what's the word? Um, authoritative. She just let us do what we wanted. She never really told us um, what to do. And, and so we sort of had the free reign 
Wait, this is your mother? Uh, my grandmother. Grandmother, okay. Yeah. Grandmother, my grandmother. My mum was working a lot. Um, so my grandmother was the one who used to watch us. But yeah, she was a very free spirit, we'll mm -hmm. say. Um, so she she wasn't really on our backs or anything. And um, we used to pretty much do what we wanted. So we had this very sort of free childhood where we got to do what we wanted. Um, we used to break into things like there was this uh, warehouse near us. And I think when I was in year six, which would have been, I was maybe about 10, we broke into this warehouse and uh, it was filled with alcohol. And so we, we pulled all of this alcohol out of this warehouse and then we got all the kids from the estate uh, onto this field and we got everyone drunk. And uh, we were all, and that was everyone, like even the younger kids that were like six, seven years old. And like, we just got the whole child population <laughs> of our local area uh, drunk. And then we all went home and then we all passed out and got clocked by parents and grounded <laughs> and this and the other. So, but like, we were free enough to be able to like do those kind of things um, during the day. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty much teenage years. Went to a secular school, uh, high school. Um, I, I was into like heavily into music and smoking weed and kind of into drinking, but not much. I'd do it because like everyone around me was doing it. But it, it was something that always made me a little bit anxious. I much preferred being this sort of stoner type. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I sort of grew up, uh, left school, but kept getting in trouble. It, like I dropped out of college twice, um, just started working in restaurants, um, gardening, things like that. And just working and earning money and then spending that on things like clothes, um, sparkly earrings. And uh, weird haircuts with patterns. I used to get um, patterns bit into my hair with a cutthroat razor. I saw razor. In the picture. Yeah. And yeah. I had that done once every one and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. And it used to cost like £15 each time. So I used you to... You got to spend... keep it fresh, yeah. Yeah, so much money on getting my hair done on that. And uh, yeah, I was just like obsessed with that kind of thing. Used to save up a grand and then go blast it all in the traffic centre on like aftershave and clothes and trying to make myself look sick and uh I, I look back now it just makes me cringe but yeah I was I was dead into that it was quite materialistic um ended up working in things like call centers for a little bit um which makes a customer service and sales and upgrades that kind of stuff and uh I did really well at that ended up earning quite a lot quite early on um but then I started getting sick of it so I just saved up I think it was like seven grand or summer and and then I was like I'm gonna go traveling so I went traveling around Asia for about a year and a half uh, in 2012. And uh, I was supposed to visit something like 18 countries in six months. And then I ended up being away for 18 months instead of six. Instead <laughs> of seeing 18 countries, I only saw, I think, like six or seven or eight at top. And it's because I was just, I went somewhere and I didn't want to leave. So I just stay there for ages. You took seven grand with you. Yeah, yeah. I saved you made that last. 18 a month. year and a half no yeah. way i mean yeah, it's, it's, it's asia i can see that happen bro i'm not just that like i lived like a hobo like i was honestly i might even be able to find some pictures but um like i i was living like i was happy to live like an absolute scruff so um in korea so that was the first place we went to we went and we stayed in a temple a buddhist temple 
and we didn't have to spend anything there. All we had to do was work on the farm. Um, so we didn't spend any money for two weeks at all. So we were there working on farms. They were feeding us and we had somewhere to stay. Um, and then when we left there, we did things like we went and we found a public park in the middle of Seoul in Korea. Um, and we, there was this like utility building in the middle of the public park. And we climbed up on the roof and we got cardboard and we made like a little hobo tent and we slept on a roof in the middle of a park. <sighs> and then we got woke up by the rain in the morning. And so we got off and or we'd sleep on benches on top of hills or something. Or um, And then we did things like when I got to Taiwan, we were couch surfing, which is like a traveler's social media where people mm. will let you stay in the house for free. Really weird concept, but it's a thing. Uh, and so we were just staying with people and then they were showing us around and they'd just let us crash in their house. That didn't cost They give anything. you food too or you, you had to pay for that? Uh, etiquette is you'd bring them food. You don't, uh, It's not the case. And sometimes, depending on who you were with, they'd give you food. If they, you know, if they were doing, certain people were really nice. And certain people just loved the, the ability to engage with foreigners and travelers. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they were well off, they'd have lots of food and things like that. So that was the case. So sometimes you'd be staying with things like, like people like students. They didn't necessarily have the money, um, but they, they were interesting people and they wanted to meet people. And so you'd, you'd recognize what was going on. Usually you'd come to the house with like fruit or something, or you'd say, this is how we generally operated anyway. We'd say, let's go for summit and we'll get you, we'll pay for the meal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people didn't do that. Some people would just use it as like a stop and then they would literally just sleep there and not really spend time with the host and then get off. So we did things like that. There was one guy um, who stayed with and uh, he was an old man, an old American man who, who was the king of the vegans who bought some land yeah. in, in the middle of Taiwan on oh. this mountain. I mean, but, that, but uh, Rami, if, I know you have your dollar training right now, right? So if you want to go for that. No worries, bro. I want to cut off the brother, but... Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, bro. Yeah. Yeah, bro, go on. Uh, so, yeah, this guy, he, he just bought some land on this mountaintop in the jungle in Taiwan. And uh, we went and crashed in his, and he, he said, right, you're staying here. And basically, we had a roof with no walls. So it was like these four posts in the jungle on this mountain. Um, it was just a roof. And then the bed was like just a raised wooden platform with a mosquito net around it. And, uh, and then that was like where we were to stay. And then we were sleeping at night and there was bats flying around the tent and there was cicadas. I don't know if anyone knows what a cicada is, but it's just this really, 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 really loud insect mm-hmm. that screams almost. It's like, ring, 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 ring. and you've just got like 50 of these around your head in the middle of the night. There was just no sleeping. We're, like, oh, we're not saying it. And the guy turned out to be a bit crazy as well because he lived there mm-hmm. on his own. Um, and he was like, let's go get food. And so his version of let's go get food wasn't like let's go KFC or anything. It was let's walk into the jungle and then try and find weird uh, roots in the ground or growths off a tree or a flower. And so he was like, oh, there's a banana tree. I was like, oh, Bussin, we're going to get some bananas. Nope. We're going to get the flower and we're going to eat the flower. (laughs) And he basically just crushed this banana flower thing with Mm. some other stuff and made this goo. And he was like, bon appetit. (laughs) Disgusting. So we tried, like, obviously we didn't want to be rude. So we were trying to, um, like, we were putting tuna in it and that, trying to make it edible. Uh, But it was was horrible. And uh, so, yeah, we didn't stay there for long. But that that was free. Um, 
And then when we went to Malaysia, uh, we went to this island called Tiamen. And there was a woman running a bar and she had a few chalets that were like run down. Like they run down is probably not even a good enough word to describe the quality of the chalets, but they were, they were really, really old. They were in disrepair. Um, the, the, the toilets were like constantly dripping and leaking. So the, there was loads of mold and everything in the bathroom. Uh, the bed was like a million years old. And uh, we had like a, a sheet that wasn't even fitted and it was just, you'd put the sheet on top of it. And there was a fan that you turned on and to feel the effect of the fan, you had to have like your face pretty much right next to it. But if you turned it off, you could see like a centuries worth of dead insects that had been chewed up by this fan. And, uh, and then there was just jungle just growing over it and taking it. And uh, I'll, try, I'll see if I can find the picture of uh, and, we, and there was always people staying there because we didn't have to pay. So we said, we'll help you run your bar. Just let us stay in one of your crappy chalets. Mm. And so she was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So she let us stay here. And so we were always having people like sort of stay there with us. And so that rather than sleeping in the bed, you know, you get a double bed, you usually sleep in it lengthways. We would maybe have like four or five people sleeping in it um, widthways instead of so you could fit more people on. Um, Bro, that reminds had... me of, uh, but I'll tell you about that after. No, no, go on, go on. Yeah, I went to uh, Iceland with Angel, who is the third brother who couldn't make it tonight for the three Muslims, yeah. and another brother. And when we went to Iceland, it was just supposed to be two of us. It wasn't supposed to be three. So it was the last minute plan. And bro, if you know anything about Iceland, it's crazy expensive. So we booked Airbnbs weeks and months in advance. So what we did was we just, we went with three mans and all these two be- two people accommodations. Yeah. Um, usually it was a double or queen gotta, bed. Gotta improvise. The, the width thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, uh, there's, there's, uh, bro, um, back then I used to snore a lot, apparently according to Anha. You know, I, I don't snore anymore now, but apparently it was so bad. This man in the freezing cold, he would take our car keys, go to our car, and then when we woke up, I would like eat breakfast, you know, do my thing, come in the car, he's, he's like, still asleep, bro. He's passed out. Frozen in the car. <laughs> frozen in the car. So, uh, let, uh, let me share my screen, I'll show you. Go for it, bro. I'll just quick. So this is the only surviving picture I have of this place. Um, but yeah, so like on the inside, it was just absolutely shocking. And when you, you can see the floor on this, um, see, see the floor that wood kind of flooring that you see underneath me that mm. was what it was like inside of the chalet as well um and then we strung up these hammocks and you can see the jungle is like it's just pure jungle there mate it's not it's not like oh let's just walk through this jungle kind of jungle it's a no we need a machete <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, gonna, you're not walking through it but it was just yeah it was such a like a, a scruffy den and uh but yeah we were chilled like it was free so it just meant the more we could live like this the longer we could travel for and um and we'd mm-hmm. always eat cheap so we'd always eat street food mm-hmm. uh like when i went i went myanmar um we had the option to well, i was on my own at this point but i had the option to stay in a room and spend a bit more um but i was always like no 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 what's the cheapest is that we can stay in the corridor for three dollars and so, like, I would basically sleep in the corridor of this, like, hostel um, next to a few other people who also wanted to travel cheap. <laughs> so they'd mm. be sleeping in the corridor as well, outside of people's rooms. And, um, and then you'd go for food and you'd find, like, it's like a back alley, like an alleyway. Or, like, and someone had made a restaurant 
Um, and this restaurant was basically some stones next to the curb uh, with a fire and then a pop on top of stones on a fire next to a curb, you know, like, like in a gutter in a back alley. Um, and then the tables were just like buckets that are turned upside down and the chairs were the same buckets turned upside down. <laughs> so, so you just like basically table and chairs were just upside down food buckets or like oil mm. buckets, whatever. And uh, and then yeah, and you'd spend like a couple of dollars to get like a huge scran that someone's made in some alley um, on a fire next to the curb. So there was but definitely it, no daughter in the picture back then. No, no, definitely not. Because you, you're not doing this, bro, with a daughter in the picture. I'd probably not. I wouldn't do that. I'd I'd probably still be a bit hobo. I'd mm-hmm. just I'd obviously be conscious of keeping her safe, so I'd try to be a bit more careful whereas with me it was like i was quite happy just sleeping in really weird places um mm. which looking back now was probably quite dangerous um <laughs> a few times uh but i don't know young stupid uh mm. this, like in love with this idea of the adventure lifestyle um what's up what's a takeaway like one big lesson if you had to only pick one i know there was tons of things you probably picked up on but one main piece of wisdom from this nomad lifestyle uh it's like peter pan man the never neverland it's this attempt to not really grow up and it's you know they sell it quite well i can sell it quite well i can tell you about all these amazing stories um but it's never like that like it's it's intense it's um it's wrapped up with some of the biggest sort of amazing experiences like constant sequences of the feeling of awe almost like every week um to feelings of severe depression um and it was just an up and down up and down up and down and uh it's it's a really weird way to live because like when you get bored you move on you go somewhere else you check something else out you're you're doing mad stuff like you're eating scorpions one minute or like you're eating mystery meat that you later find out after the facts turned out to be like dog or something weird and it's like oh well i probably wouldn't have eaten that <laughs> i don't know, if I'd have known <laughs> it was a dog um to yeah just mad things like this that island um to that photo that i showed you that was tiaman island beautiful place fell in love with it I lived there for about eight months. I ended up, um, that particular bar was, I think, a Norwegian woman's bar. Um, And the second time I went, I worked at another bar, um, which I ended up running rather than, basically, I paid rent to the guy who owned the dive shop. um, And then we ran this bar. And um, that was mad because it was like, I was a full-time resident in this place pretty much. And if I, if I needed to leave, it'd be once every three months when Visa was running out and I come back. But this place was like paradise. And that's probably the major thing that made me want to stay there. Because it was like we lived on a beach. You woke up in the morning, you just jump off the jetty into the ocean and it took two minutes to get into the ocean. And that was the wake up sort of thing. And it's beautiful, clear waters. You've got all these mad fish, turtles and that. Um, and just crystal clear water beautiful um but there was a lot of mad things going on on the island like people had bad drug addictions so it was people and you know 
these are people that I would talk to, like the youth, around about my age, um, really good lads. You get on with them. And then they'd just be like in my toilet doing heroin. <laughs> and then you'd be like, what are you doing? And they would talk about heroin like it was like nothing. You know, like like was, cereal, yeah. Yeah, like it was niche. And it's like, bro, that's not a good thing to be doing that. Why are you doing that? But they couldn't get it. Um, obviously, I had had a particular experience because of my dad, which mm. made me see it in a very sort of particular way. Um, but they, they, it was just really weird to see them not have that same experience at all. It was like it was nothing. Um, and then there was all the lads that were like on meth. Like in- let, me, let me ask you this. And, and once again, bro, I'm going to remind you, anything you don't want to talk about, just not going to take it personally. Yeah, no, no, right? don't worry, bro. I'm an open book. What, what made you quit this, quit weed? Was it more Islam or was it kind of before that you were already like outgrowing that? Yeah. So I'd been smoking it on and off since I was about 12. Mostly on very little time off. Um, so And it became like a huge part of my life for a very, very, very long time. Um, I was like a heavy advocate for it. Like I really thought that it was going to like solve all the world's problems. Um, and I used to pride myself in being able to make what I refer to as super zoots, um, which are basically like you'd get loads of Rizzler and put them together. And I was really, really, really good at making big ones, which was good for communal smoking, um, which came in real handy when I was traveling because um, it was always like a, a really good icebreaker. Nearly everyone smoked. And so you would just be like, oh, I can make a super zoot. And you'd just make this stupidly large um smoking thing all right um there was this other one called it was like a cross joint yeah, yeah, double joint cross uh, yeah. Joint, yeah um i could make them i just used to make all these like fancy things and i loved it and it was like a really big part of my life for a long time and uh it was difficult to sort of give it up when i got back from traveling i still loved it um and i like but I was starting to hate it because mm-hmm. like, it got to a point where it was like every day, all day, I would mm-hmm. wake up in the morning. Um, and the first thing I would do is like hit a bong or like smoke something or like, it was just, there wasn't, it felt like there wasn't really a moment. I wasn't stoned out of my head. And then being sober was weird mm-hmm. because I was high. It was boring. Yeah. And it was spending too, it was just costing too much. It was mm-hmm. like, it, it, weed's really, really expensive. It's like for like a, a 20 pound, you're getting like 1.8, 1.9 gram. And if you're buying it in a larger amount, you're spending like upwards to maybe 200 to 250 pounds for an ounce of weed, which is just extortionate. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was costing me too much money and it was just taking too much time. And I was going through about 3.5 grams of it a day. Mm. Um, which is a lot of money's worth. And uh, yeah, it just got to a point where I was like, I need to quit, but it was hard. So what I did is I just sort of reduced my usage a lot. Um, And I moved out and I stopped hanging about with a lot of people that was doing that kind of thing. And I I took my shahada at this point, um, but I was still smoking for a while because it was really, really, really difficult to let go Mm -hmm. of. And I was quite isolated and it was... Um, something I used quite a lot to sort of help manage my anxieties. Um, so I, ke- I kept smoking it for a bit. And then um, 
eventually with my wife, I found out that um, she was pregnant and the news of the daughter was it. That, that was it then. Never touched it again. And not just weed, I stopped smoking. I, like just finding out I was going to be a dad. You never went like, back. Never, never. Do you never feel like back. Allah, I don't want to say that that's why you have a daughter, but it's almost like it was a perfect time to like, you know, yeah. everything happened in his color to like get you to kind of abstain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was definitely like a key moment. Like I'd been battling on and off, even just like smoking. So I, it was weird because there was a period where I, would, I used to smoke cigarettes and then I would also smoke weed. And so I saw myself as a, someone who smoked cigarettes and smoked weed. Eventually I give up cigarettes, but then I still smoke weed. And no matter what, it was like, weed was something really difficult to let go of because it was also a really social element of my life. It was um, something that was really easy to sort of, everyone I knew smoked it. Mm. Everyone or everyone around me was always smoking it. Um, and it's just always like the first thing, oh, why don't you come around and we'll do this and we'll watch some funny movies. And so we just like be idiots and get stoned and watch stupid stuff. You, know, you never had any like bad trips? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Of course. Th- those didn't make you want to quit? Uh, no. But it was, had... it, was, it was the end all where it was like it just happened, right? Where you, you chose to humble yourself before Allah humbled you in a way. Yeah. So... Th- it was just you know what it was the, the news of a daughter was like i've got to sort myself out i've got I'm grown up now i can't be no muppet like mm-hmm. you know i'm not going to be and just the thought of her being around that kind of thing just not me sick like mm-hmm. it was like i don't want to be a dad that smokes around my daughter i don't want to be a dad that has to go off and sneak and mm-hmm. hide to smoke and then come back stinking or like i don't want to be having a daughter a baby around me and me being stoned or me being wanting to be stoned or even if like because a baby is a 24 7 thing man like they're they're waking up throughout the night they're always needing your help there's no oh let me get stoned and not have to like deal with a baby like there's no opportunity like if you if you're getting stoned what you're going to end up doing is you're going to have to deal with a baby while you're high and the thought of ever doing that was like no no ain't doing that um so yeah just gave it up never and alhamdulillah the urge has left as well like even the thought of smoking now knocks me sick and um if i've ever been around like some of the old friends that i used to hang about or like my brother or anything uh, they all still smoke and the smell of it just makes me feel uneasy like i can't i know if i ever touched it again i go absolutely underpants that's the reason that weed is weed is hard to quit for for a lot of drugs and you know substances. They're they're physiologically addicting, but weed is psychologically addicting, and yeah, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to break that pattern. But we always used to go on about that as well. We were like, "No, weed's not even addictive." And it I was can like, quit whenever I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, right, I can stop tomorrow. Then oh, then why don't you stop? Oh, because I don't need to stop. I don't want to. I don't want yeah. to. It's cool. I'm choosing it's to. I want to. You. I don't need weed. All right. Yeah, yeah, and then and then why don't you go a week without it? Ah, uh, that's when that's when you you know you hooked. Yeah, and um, yeah. So, alhamdulillah, that's just not part of my life at all anymore, and I, I don't want it to be. But it was for like, but by the time I'd quit, at that point, I had been smoking weed 
more more most of my life than I, I had not been so I think I quit when I was like 25 or something so I'd been smoking weed for like 13 years and there'd been 12 years of my life where I hadn't so you know at that point it was like I'd, I'd gone past this threshold it was like that's a long time to smoke mm. weed I don't want to be an old old man going on about gandrol. how bad was your anxieties and all that pretty bad like uh had severe anxiety so they, they did this test thing on me um where they ask you questions and you go and you speak to professionals and that and then like they have this graph or this thing and it's like from zero to ten you're a nine <laughs> i was like okay that sounds pretty bad um so yeah, I, was, I was super 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 severely anxious all the time and i still am like to a degree i always feel anxious and um it's never really left me but it's not as extreme or it's not as severe as it used to be mm-hmm. but i think the weed probably really played a huge part it. Yeah. Or, or did it take it away well it it was it was a, a form of escapism mm. so it was a, it was a method of avoiding certain things in life it made me very complacent and lazy um, and the the sort of behaviors that I'd associated with it um, were just like I'd sort of lose myself a bit, and it, it was it was a way of just getting me to relax. And this was how I would relax. And if I wanted to relax, if I needed to relax, that's how I would do it. Um, like it, when I was when I started studying, um, the first year that I was studying, I was still doing it. And I remember I used to like I'd finished. Uh, class and I used to study in the city center so I had to mission for like an hour to get home going mm. on like you know I'd walk for half an hour and then get a tram and then that'd take me to my girl and um, I remember like even just on my way home being so anxious thinking I need to go home I need to ring my drug dealer that makes me anxious because they were always so dodgy they'd always say like yeah I'll be there in five minutes and then they'd be there like 10 hours later and then always worrying about whether or not they were going to sell you short so I always had to like get anxious to make sure that it weighed what it was supposed to weigh and then trying to f- split it and like map the evening out how and that whole process just used to make me anxious and like I remember power walking home because I needed to get back and that I needed to relax mm-hmm. um, and that was the way I would do it it's like a whole and different then, lifestyle yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and then um, yeah just finding out you got a daughter on the way was like left that knocked it on the head and then I chilled out. Like, it just helped me so much leaving that behind and um, getting some responsibility, like becoming an adult, having something that is utterly dependent upon you. Um, obviously, it doesn't work for everyone. I think some people, um, my dad being a good example of that, that didn't seem to help him sort of get on track, I guess. Wow. Um, but, yeah, for me, it was just, that was a, a key moment in my life it was out. like enough is enough kind of like a wake-up call yeah yeah, yeah what was yeah. Your, what's a, what's a parallel you can you can depict between nihilism and substances if there's any so there can be um so the thing is with nihilism is when someone's experiencing it um what is what is nihilism for a lot of people because a lot of viewers there's there's like what is that term so nihilism is in short it's just the, the idea that life and existence and the cosmos as a, a whole, everything 
is utterly meaningless and insignificant. And um, you, you get a sense of this at some point, I think, in your life, everyone does. Mm-hmm. When you are sort of embedded in a, a hedonistic lifestyle of sorts, usually in teenage years, you know, you, you become obsessed with certain things, women, money, cars, clothes, power, this, that, and the other. And um, you sort of just dive into it. And you you keep trying to, like, sort of achieve this Disney prince sort of, you know, the happy ending sort of life. And you're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I, need, I need to become rich. I need to do this. I need to have, you know, pe- I need people to respect me or whatever. And, and so you try to pursue a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeking these pleasures but then eventually they just like you're seeking them but they're not really even giving you any pleasure anymore not only that they're even causing you pain some of these things and um, and when you do engaging them like you, you've got this huge urge to engage in it um, because of this hyper desire but then when you attain it there's like it feels hollow it feels like it didn't live up to the hype. It feels empty. And when your life revolves around these type of things, life begins to start to feel empty as well. Um, and you see the, the uselessness of it, or you, you start to see the falsity in that kind of life. You see, this isn't, this isn't why I'm here. This isn't what life is about. Um, this is stupid. This is silly. Um, and it, you know, some people don't see that, um, and they get sort of stuck in it and then you need to sort of deal with some sort of escapism. Now, oddly enough, some people will just sort of engage in the same sort of behaviors that cause the feelings. Um, and then they just get stuck in this nasty feedback loop where they keep sort Mm -hmm. of, they get deeper into it, deeper and deeper and deeper into the, the different avenues or holes, be that with women or drugs or. Uh, alcohol or computer games or the online world or whatever it is you know there's many different avenues but it's just it's a form of escapism that you recognize that the the universe is meaningless Mm -hmm. um, or empty void of significance so you try to escape it and you try to jump into something in order to avoid that is Um, there a line though between um consciously realizing that life is meaningless and unconsciously just living in that way or is it kind of blurred and just a mesh repeat the question so i'm saying in for someone who's who's like a nihilist just like losing losing and living in that lifestyle is there this mental i guess separation between a conscious understanding that okay life is meaningless and the unconscious i guess presence of being in that state okay good question or does it just mesh so I think for the majority of people, it's not a conscious decision. It's just like a smell. It's in the air. It's just something you're feeling the presence of. And you can be aware of it, but it's, it's quite terrifying. Um, mm. And so you want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a nihilist. People, people half the time don't even know what the word means. Um, and it's it's not necessarily a conversation they'll even have unless they're in one of the lowest moments um or in therapy or something yeah, yeah, yeah exactly mm. but you know so they'll they'll just avoid it and they'll try to stay positive 
And if you ever try to start to have serious conversations, like I was always a bit of um, a quote unquote a buzzkill, I guess sometimes where like everyone would be having this particular sort of night where they're just, you know, small talk or getting drunk and talking silly about random things. Um, and then I'd be like wanting to talk about death or like, you know, impending doom or no, like, dark. Yeah. Some death in the sense of like, well, you know, life, what's, what's the meaning of life or conspiracy theories. Mm. Like what, what was this, what's going on here? Um, and I get, I don't know, maybe cause I'd sort of experienced quite a lot of death growing up. I was already really exposed to it and it didn't, strike me as strange or um as it, it struck me as an important subject and it was always weird that people weren't as willing to talk about these things um or as interested to talk about these things as i was um but yeah i, th I think that either people are recognizing it because as far as i see it nihilism is sort of a societal problem at the moment it's not like just a philosophy people are picking it's a necessary consequence of a particular set of values. Um, and at the moment in Western society, the values are very particular and they sort of accentuate this, this feeling of nihilism. Mm. And, you, you know, you've got this um, pervading feeling or this like dark cloud that's above everyone. And they're just sort of trying to escape it because people generally in Western society don't believe anymore or they don't act like they believe at least um and the life has become incredibly animalistic to a certain degree that is you know there's a focus on dunyaish things focus on pleasure seeking um and this is what causes nihilism it's like the ultimately its foundation uh the universe and everything in it is is uh, it's just dead matter. There's no consciousness at the bottom of it. And if there's no consciousness and there's no, you know, there's nothing being aimed at, it's, it's random, it's pointless. It's just ups and downs. And you're seeing good people getting trodden on and hurt. And you're seeing bad people get all these things you want. Bad people have got the money, they've got this, they've got that. Um, I see so what like, you mean, though, bro. It's, it's depressing even hearing it. So I can imagine how, how it is yeah, when you're just yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. it. So it's um, it's not like fun, mm -hmm. so to speak, to study. It just feels really necessary. Um, but like I don't know. I, I've always been weird. So that there's and it, and it the experience is like um, the analogies I've always made. There's certain moments in my life where I've had this experience of something. And the feeling that I've had in these moments is analogous to sort of a full realization of what nihilism is or the experience of it. Um, and so there was one time I'd, um, we'd done these, this drug called, it, it was, we just bought seeds. Like if you plant them, they grow and they turn into flowers. Um, but they were a particular kind of seed that they had this sort of psychedelic effect. Yeah, so psychoactive, yeah. Yeah, and we'd crush them and then we'd like sieve this stuff out of the middle of it and then we put it in and we'd make a little bomb out of it and drop it you guys really did something that you don't know what it is well we, we knew it was a seed like it that, was like a, it bro, was a that's not enough information for me <laughs> no we I, no, I looked into it a bit like mm. we were reading about it and it's okay. like i was reading experiences of what people have had um, what did you what did you read 
just people's accounts of their experiences. No, I'm saying like, what, what, what were they, like, briefly? Like, were they good? Were they bad? Was it something like DMT where it was, like, being really cautious? Yeah, it was, like, up and varied. It was, it was up and down. There was many different kinds of experiences. Mm. So some, a lot of people had, like, really good experiences and a lot of people had a really bad one. Okay. And, um, and I'm, like, hypersensitive to these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, like, like whenever, whenever I took anything, I was always like the first one to be affected by it. And it, it, it would always like hit me mm-hmm. way more than it hit everyone else. And I'd like, and so we, we took these things called seeds. I, I, I can't even remember what they were called. Probably best I don't tell you what they are anyway, but, mm-hmm. um, and it just, it was really weird. And I had this sort of mad experience of the world being very very present and like everything was extra sensitive so like I, I started washing my hands and then I was like I, even now I can remember the experience I, I remember how soft the soap was and so I just poured loads of soap onto my hands and I was just in my mate's bathroom just like just experiencing the softness of soap and then we were like me and him were running up and down the stairs and then he put dubstep on the summer and it was like wah, 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 and I was laying in his bed and it felt like I was like on clouds. And so I, I go really up and then I always come crashing. So mm. I always felt like whenever I did anything like this, I always had this really, really high up. And then it always went down to this like really dark, scary place. And um, the second time I took it, I fell into a black hole. This is the only way I can explain it. It's like I, I would have loads and loads of loads of loads, loads of energy out of nowhere and so we'd run around and we were like screaming out of the windows and like powering up like super saiyans and then all my energy would i would lose it and i would feel utterly powerless and i would just sink to the floor and i'd like lost control of my body like really i had like i lost it like i was just lay on the floor Hmm. and then i couldn't keep my eyes open and then all the all that was left of me was my heartbeat and i was sure i was gonna die Mm -hmm. like i felt like any moment now I'm going to die. And I was in a severe state of panic, but I couldn't do anything. Like I was fully conscious. Like I was, I was there. I just, I was lay on the floor. I couldn't open my eyes. The world was dark. And like, it wasn't a dream. I wasn't asleep. Like I was there. And then like, it felt like I had to try and crawl out of this hole Mm -hmm. and then like force myself to open my eyes. And I was trying to like ask my friends for help. And they were just like, sat down just talking trying not to freak me out by acting normal mm. um while i was going to some dark place and that feeling of utter terror of mm. darkness of nothing of just a heartbeat being on my own feeling utterly powerless mm-hmm. um and despite having these people around me feeling like there was light years between us and being ultimately alone that was nihilism that was like just sheer terror and because everything else seems like why am i doing these things like why who cares about that who cares about this like when it came to it when it came to like the moment of feeling like you were going to die Mm -hmm. um like things start to sort of fall into perspective a bit but that's what nihilism is like it's like realizing your 
you're a finite being that death is coming hmm. every breath is one breath closer to the last every heartbeat is one beat close it's really depressing <laughs> as you can tell it's uh no this is listen man we, we we started this whole gin series about it right a lot of people don't we're not experts but it's it's essentially your your roh like your your soul it's kind of like we're this is our theory again and our bodies like our physical bodies right where we where we are right now our our soul is kind of interwoven into it and that's the way it should be that's the way Allah designed us to be when you do these these drugs and it lowers your hijab and you're more vulnerable to a lot of things that are from the unseen right yeah. it just creates this separation from you know your roh and your physical body now it's, it's all fun feels nice but so what if you can't come back? What if you're not, you don't, when you do come yeah, back, stuck. you're not the same. Yeah. You know well, th- these things definitely change you. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like whenever I did these things, they, they, they were always, it was terrifying. I did it more than once. I don't know why, but no, I do know why. Um, because it, it, in a way it made you really, really take life seriously. And um, like every time I did it, it was always so exhausting. Like I couldn't, like if I ever did it, it was once every couple of years. And um, no problem. Um, Once every couple of years. And it was always hyper significant, but hyper terrifying. And Mm. now the thing is, is, it's, it's funny you mentioned gin as well because I, I have theories about yep. this and it, and it relates um, as well to things like the, the soul and it also relates to these things about DMT. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can go into that inshallah. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, I was doing it because I, I was trying to find something. I was, I was in search of something and the, the, it was clear that whatever I was sort of focused on was empty it was hollow there was nothing to it um but there was always this sense of something significant in place and you could always you could always see it but it was never like it was never in worldly pursuits it was never in the drugs it was never in the women it was never in the alcohol it was always everything always felt like it had it, it was weird because it's this there's this conflict you've got this experience of the world as meaningless when you're looking at the world in and of itself but then simultaneously there's always this sense of significance there's always this sense of plan um and it was really really hard to describe but i always felt watched over like i always mm. felt um like when i was traveling man i got into some weird predicaments like crazy things were happening and like i was like i should have died then like that but how on earth like i yeah subhanallah there was just too many accounts of things happening where it was like that that should have ended very very badly i have no mm-hmm. idea how i got out of that um but i i always felt like there was something protecting me or something watching over me it was always this weird sense like um, a law or gin i don't know mm. i I've, it felt like a good thing felt yeah, like a good presence yeah, yeah. not, not like not even evil um 
but I also had this sort of sense of evil as well somewhere, but it was distinct. They weren't the same thing. There was like this one thing trying to call me in one way and this other thing trying to call what me. It was the same thing, but like a different like thing. What I'm trying to say is it, what if it's not like good or bad? What if it just, they're all bad, but some could be good. You know what I mean? Yeah, possibly. Because this ties into Jin, because Jin have a will. So some of them could be bad. Some right. And they don't, they don't want you to catch on to how they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so the, the nihilism thing, sort of linking it back to the original mm-hmm. um, question, that experience when I was in these like dark places, it was terrifying. And the, I had experiences when I wasn't taking something which was similar to that. So I was, I went scuba diving at night and I was in the ocean and my torch wasn't working and I was just alone in everyone was sort of swimming and i remember I, I turned out and i looked into the darkness of the ocean and then i was terrified i was like i can't see um like my hand in front of my face it's that dark there could be a shark like right in front of me and i'd have no idea until it bit me um and it was just pure fear and then there's one part of the body telling you to run or swim and get out and go and then there's another part of me that's sort of just watching me panic and being like no 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 stay like I like I I don't know I'm weird I wanted to experience that fear and let myself experience it and then force myself to stay and to keep experiencing it and it just it wasn't something that was going away it was there but then there was this other part of myself that wanted to sort of stay composed while going through that and I had another mm. experience like that when I was in a graveyard I used to go walk around in graveyards at night and uh, I had a dog at the time and I liked the night because everyone was asleep and there's a, a sense of pure silence and bliss and peace at night, especially in graveyards. And then I just got this sense that there was something behind me and I was terrified. And then it was like, run, you need to run out of the graveyard. It's dark. There's no light. Uh, it's pitch black. There's a monster. It's going to eat your face. And um, so there's part of me wanting to run. And then there's another part wanting me to turn around and look to check. And then there was another part of it that was like, no, 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 just stand still. Just, yeah. Don't run. Don't turn around. Just submit to whatever's mm. going on. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And then so I just stood there and I was just sort of like watching my fear and letting it overcome me. And the, 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 I'd had lots of these experiences of like utter fear and of sort of recognition of my mortality, that death was possible at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um and that I need to take life seriously. And, uh, and eventually it sort of, it, obviously when I, I went traveling and I was trying to, the traveling wasn't so much going to places. It was running away from, you know, the, the life that I was living. And I wanted to see what different ways of living there were. So I would, like I said, I stayed with monks. I was looking into Buddhism. Um, and then I was, I met a lot of atheists. There's a lot of atheists. I met a lot of like new age hippie types. So I was talking to all of them. Um, I was looking into um, like the modern forms of this new age religion. So there was a particular author that I really liked. It was called Ram Das. Um, and so I, I was really, I was taking these things seriously. I was trying to figure out, is there any truth in them? Hmm. Um, and the, the more obviously in Islam was a part of that as well. And so I was reading the Quran. I read it, I think two times um, front to back before I'd actually taught my Shahada. Uh, I was looking into the life of the prophet. I was looking into all these arguments. I was watching a lot of YouTube. 
Um, so it's probably watching. This was a long time ago now. I can guarantee that Yif Dawa and Speaker's Corner and that were all a part of that. Um, mm. And it was just engaging with these seriously. And I think these moments of the fear of death, you know, of, is what is going to take place after mm. death? Is it really nothing? Am I willing to really put all of my money on the fact that there's nothing after life? Right. Do, I, do I really believe that? Because um, there was a point in my life where I did, but it was like, do, do you though? Why do you believe that? And so I had to start like asking these questions. What is it that makes me think atheism is true? What is it that makes me think that, um, that there isn't necessarily a God out there? And it, life was quite chaotic. So I'd like have these experiences, like I mentioned before, where it's like I had this sense of some sort of super significance. Um, but then they would sort of drift. And, and then I would move back into this sort of agnostic slash atheistic state. And it was fluxing um, certain experiences. And I'd become more sort of open to this idea. And then it would drift away. And I'd, um, it's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it says it in the Quran, you know, like, um, the mo- when when the, you're on the ship and the storm comes, all of a sudden everyone's a believer again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and and then you and get once it's done. Yeah, once it's done, you you fall back into forgetfulness. And like I was reading the Quran, and it's like I kept reading and I kept seeing myself in it. It was like, and then I, I was reading more and I was seeing everyone around me in it. And and then I was like, I was starting to see that there's there's wisdom in this. Like I know if I stop these type of behaviors. I know this is where contentment lies. I know mm. this is where um, peace will reside, like in submission to a lot of the things that are being said here. And there were parallels. So like when I was um, in the Buddhist temple, they did things like pray five times a day as well, funnily enough. Um, and mm. they did sujood. So they, you know, even go into prostration, but they had these big gold statues that were doing it towards mm-hmm. of, of men. And um and I didn't get that. And I'd, I'd speak to them. And there was these, like, everywhere, whenever I was talking to people, there was always these like common themes, these common patterns. And when I was really young, I was really into alien conspiracy theory stuff. And what had happened is independently of religion, while I was an atheist, the way I'd come to understand or conceptualize aliens was as uh, not extraterrestrial, but as like extra dimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Um, now this touch have you ever heard of flatlanders I heard of flat earthers no nothing to do with that nothing to do with that it's, uh, it's this book mm-hmm. uh, Flatland by uh, Edwin A. Abbott and it's subtitled, a, a, romance of, uh, a romance of many dimensions mm-hmm. now in this book it talks about a, a flat land like it's literally a, a land it's two-dimensional so it's not a 3d place mm. and there's little 2d creatures that live in flatland so there's little squares there's little triangles there's little circles mm. and they live in a, a flat world they have no up or down they only have forward backwards left and right and uh and they live in this flat world and that's all they know they don't know anything else but then this 3d three-dimensional creature comes along and starts talking to one of them so you can see on the cover, you've got a little flat square, man. And then you've got like a, a sphere here poking through his world. 
that's not supposed to be there yeah so it's well it's not they've never experienced these things necessarily mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and it comes over it starts talking to one of the, the little flat creatures and it hears it but it hears it as if it's coming from inside of its own head because mm. he's talking from above so like you know how um when me and you were talking we can only see the outside of us i can't see your heart pumping i can't see your lungs breathing in or out i can't see your brain all of these things are concealed by your skin now in flatland the same thing applies when two flat creatures are seeing each other, they only see the outside, the edge, and then all of the organs are on the inside of the shape. So like the heart would be inside and the brain and everything. Um, but when the 3D creature is above them, talking to them, it's talking to their insides. And so they hear it as if it's coming from inside their own heads. So they hear these voices and they're saying, where are you? He says, I'm above you. And then they say, "Where's? what do you mean above? Where's above? And they say, show yourself. And so the, the 3D creature lowers himself and he goes into their world, which you see there. And what happens is, is they experience this dot appear in front of them as if out of nowhere. And then it grows and grows as the circle, as the, as the sphere goes in. Obviously, the closer it gets to the center, the bigger the, the shape is in that plane. And so you've got this thing appears out of nowhere and then grows. And then as it leaves again, it, it shrinks and shrinks until it disappears. And, uh, and they say, where did you go? Like how? And then he's like, well, I'm, there's, the world is more complicated than you think. It's not just forward, back, left and right. There's an up and a down as well. And he says, show me this up. So the, the, the three-dimensional creature takes the two-dimensional creature and he takes him up. And he looks down at his world yeah. in a completely unique way for the first time. He mm. sees inside of people. So he's looking down and he can see not just people's skins, he can see the bodies inside of them. He can see their hearts beating. He can see their lungs. He can see the brains. It, like he, he sees inside of his, na- his neighbor's house and outside of it at the same time. He sees what's in his neighbor's safe. Like he, he sees everything and he's, he, he's never experienced the world like this before. And then the 3D creature drops him back and in front of his friends and he just appears in front of his friends as if out of nowhere. And they say, well, you, how did you do that you've just appeared out of thin air he says i've just been up and then they're like what do you mean up and then he's got to try and like explain to them where he's been what this place is but they have like he did before he went up no way of like really understanding what's gone on conceptualizing even yeah no um i was thinking of aliens in this way Hmm. so i was thinking of Aliens, if they exist, this was prior to like becoming a theist. I was thinking of, because um, I was watching even Carl Sagan videos. Carl Sagan does a video on this about when he's talking about extra dimensions and he makes reference to this book and he's talking about it. And, um, and it made sense to me. It's like, well, if there is aliens, surely it's much more likely that they'd be extra dimensional than extraterrestrial because yeah, stars yeah. are just too far away. Yeah, like 100%. And it, it just, if we're experiencing all of these things. And so my alien, my idea of alien became this extra dimensional being um, that could move between dimensions um, or was an extra dimensional thing like the circle. And I was like, so, you know, when you hear voices in your head, when I was an atheist, I just assumed every voice in my head was mine, but it was, and then I started asking the question, well, how do I know? Like imagine Flatlanders is real. We're the 2d creatures. And there's 3D creatures, but obviously we're three-dimensional. So the the 3D creatures in the analogy, they'd be four-dimensional. 
So, and they'd be saying, no, the world's not just up, down, left, right, forward and backwards. There's another direction, and whatever he referred to that as. Um, and Allah writes in the Quran that, you know, for jinn, they see you from where you, you, you don't see You them. can't see them. Mm-hmm. And bro, and this is funny because all these things start clicking in place after. So I was thinking of aliens in this sort of way as extra dimensional beings. Um, and then I, I was thinking about like, so what are angels? What are demons? What, what's all this? And then it started to just, the more I looked into it, and the more it felt like it was um, uh, just a semantics issue. Like they were all the same thing. Like when people are talking about angels and demons, I was just being pedantic and just wanting to call them aliens. And it's like, well, you know, back in the day when people would see these things and whatever it is that's going on, things appearing out of nowhere in front of them um, and then going away. And when you look in, when I was in the Buddhist temple as well, they had similar experiences. They were talking about this, this species of people that we have this connection with. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they lived in another world. And the higher monk, the highest monk that lived in this temple, he said he could travel there. and he, he'd go there and he'd have councils with them. And they were telling me all about this, all, this mad stuff. And the more I was looking into it, I was looking into that. And then I was reading about Islam and I was reading about that, that what you just said there, they see you from where you cannot see them. And, uh, and so then I just started, like things just started clicking in place. And the more I was looking into jinn, the more it felt like jinn here is, is, what I've been calling aliens and what the Christians mm. have been calling demons and like it, it just like subhanAllah, all of that started clicking in place and then like certain experiences started happening as well where I was I was starting to realize how um there's there must be more to this world than I think like I had a conversation with my family and we were talking about what's your earliest memory and we were talking about this on an island well, wait, sorry repeat that what you were talking about what What's your earliest memory? Mm. So it was a conversation I was having and we were in the middle of a road waiting to the lights to turn so we could cross. And we were on our own, isolated. We went about shopping. Four or five hours later, we went for something to eat and we'd not been spoken, speaking about this for like four or five hours. And we were on our own when we were talking about it. And we sat down eating and the waitress has gone to the table behind us. And the guy started talking to her and he said to her, uh, what's your earliest memory? And bro, it just sent my head west. I was like, and because I was really thinking about all this flatlander stuff, I was like, what if he has seen um, my memory or my thought about that mm. question? How would he be able to distinguish that from his own thoughts? There would be no way. He would have to see it. that thing would pop into his head. He would just assume, oh, I've just had an idea. But if the world is more complex than that, if like, and this is a really common experience that people have a lot. You're thinking about someone and then they ring you. Like, too quick for it to be a coincidence. Like, and they're like, oh, yeah, I was just thinking about you. It's like, bro, I was just thinking about you. That's weird. Or you're thinking about someone and you walk around the corner and then they're there. Like, there was just all of these things. And it was just, I was getting closer and closer to this notion of the unseen. Um, And yeah, so the more I was looking into it, the more and more I was becoming convinced of the Islamic paradigm in particular, um, because it, even the Islamic paradigm, it recognizes that there is um, 
overlap and that all these other cultures, all these other religions, they have a root in an original monotheism, but that they developed and went astray as time went on. And I was seeing these links, I was seeing these connections and I was reading the Quran and it was, it was speaking to me and I was, I, I could, I, you can't, I couldn't shake the significance of it. Like I couldn't shake this feeling that all of this is true. And, you know, that the, the arguments that I was looking into, you know, about Allah, the existence of God, um, about Allah being one, about Tawheed, about, um, you know, prophethood, about Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, about the companions. The more I was looking into all of this, the more I was convinced that all of this was true. Um, and then, yeah, eventually it was just, it became a really inconvenient point where I was just like, I had to take my shahada, despite it being like, a really weird thing to want to have to do because it just meant completely changing my life um, in many ways. And I wasn't too comfortable taking that leap a lot because like I said, there was a lot of things I was really into at the time. Um, and the idea of leaving those things behind were difficult. And then the idea of all these extra responsibilities were difficult as well. Um, mm. But yeah, so, and uh, like all of these things were just starting to click in place. So it was like, um, the bad habits that I was doing, it was starting to become quite clear that I should stop them. Um, the these notions of alien or, the, or these other things, this notion of God, all of this was starting to all click in place, um, and it was clicking in place in relation to every other thing that I'd been looking into, um, and it was just this mad experience of like, uh, you know, the the jigsaw puzzle sort of coming into completion and like the picture is clear now you can see what it is um yeah subhanallah it was mad so Sorry. i got uh i got two things one yeah not really relevant second one's relevant though but the first one how did you find our channel uh i was watching so how do you pronounce the brother's name is it angel angel so i remember when I don't even know, I can't remember who, I remember someone was sharing the video of him talking about cold showers. He did I thought a video. he was on with his revert video, that like Ayura and Sapiens. No, 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 this was before he reverted. Mm. He, was doing a, he was doing a video about um, cold showers. What I've learned four years or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I know cold showers are sick. I just really struggle taking them in England. I used to take them all the time when I was traveling, but that was easy because it was boiling hot over there. Um, and I know I, if I could only get myself to take cold showers in the morning, that I'd, I know it'd have a huge positive impact. And so I was watching that video about that, and it was like, I need to do that. I, s I still haven't. Um, but yeah, so I, I do need to. And then after that, I heard he took his shahada. And then there was another channel um, called Debating Truth with Jan. Yeah. And uh, Angel had an interview on there with that brother, uh, Jan. I think this, I said Jan, I think it's pronounced Jan. Yeah. Um, and so he, he had a huge conversation on there. And so I was listening to that. And, um, and then from there, I found out that he'd started a podcast uh, with you and brother Rami. And so I started watching that as well. And uh, I've not seen every episode, but I, I was drifting in and out. And then I saw you, you were, um, you did an interview with my a friend of mine, Fareed. Um, so I was watching that one. And in the end, I just became more and more familiar with you. 
and someone's watching it a bit more. So that's how I, I came across the, the Three Muslims podcast. So but you're you like a like a day well. one in a way, OG. Uh, kind of because I remember you when I came across you, you maybe had a couple of thousand subs, but you went you zoomed to like ten <laughs> k in absolutely no time whatsoever. Subhanallah. I mean, I mean, likewise. I think, I think, I remember what, like, again, when I see something, I don't really forget it, right? So I saw your face and it was like your, your YouTube pick. I think it's like Pondering Soul. And yeah, it's just me it was, with bed, like. Yeah, and it was you in a live stream. I believe it was like our first live stream. It was like really throwback. I'm talking like maybe December or January. It was a while ago. And I remember seeing you and I was like, hmm. And a lot of people were commenting like, I'm from... Uh, pondering soul i'm from pondering soul or i i'm sent from pondering soul and then i clicked on your thing i think you shared like a, a live stream or like a video of ours and yeah. that's when i found you and started going through your content oh it's about yeah. so when was that it was uh december did you say or? december it was very early on because we we started december 11th yes yeah, so it wasn't ago. that long ago yeah mashallah you 10k <laughs> i mean it's bro I told. Oh, I lost your signal. And I've been. Hmm? We lost you for a second there. Okay, okay. And again. Oh, you're back. You keep cutting out. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Perfect. I'm on data. Um, basically, what happened, bro, is I knew Anho, I knew Rami. I've been speaking to Anho. Uh, again, bro, it's Jahiliya. I don't want to get too into that, but yeah, yeah. I think it was sometime around 20... It was definitely 2019. I brought up the fact he was kind of iffy. 2020, we went to Iceland and we were we were cooking uh, dinner one day because it was at an Airbnb. And we uh, I was just basically telling him, look, bro, you know how we've been searching and basically when you... It was like so many so much new age stuff right there's like dmt entities there's like what uh, like spirits and kundalini and all this nonsense bro but i was like bro i think i think you you can stop looking i think i found it he's like what i'm like oh bro i think it's islam and like i don't know like maybe like to people it's like oh you were born into it you might be biased right and i was like bro just read the quran like i'm telling you like this is it it's, it's like, the worst. Every, it just reaffirmed everything i already yeah because you know? the thing is, is something has to be true now like say for example, you could say to me, I was born in an atheist society. It's like, well, you know, what if you were just atheist because you were born into an atheist society? Like that, none of that matters. That doesn't declare the truth or falsity of anything because you were born into it. If it is true, whether you were born into it is, is secondary. You've got to ask yourself then it's like, well, like what? So even if it is true, you want me to reject it because I happen to have been born into it. It don't make no sense. Facts, facts, facts. That's that's true, man. A lot of people don't see it that way, though. However, it's pretty unfortunate. Um, when mm. I when I kind of I felt that inclination to tell him, like a brother, he was he was genuinely like, if you're talking about like top five people I'm closest to, or even top three, it was him. So I kind of just I naturally told him that, and he was like, we talked about it. He told me how he's Puerto Rican, right? So he's like, when he was back in Puerto Rico. Or uh, I think it was his grandfather he was talking to. And his grandfather's like, no, man, there has to be a God. We were just talking about Islam here and there. Nothing nothing crazy, but I got stronger into my deen in 2020. See, COVID 
Ramadan, the first Ramadan in 2020, that was my year, specifically that month. I, I really increased in my Iman, Alhamdulillah. And I think that was really when I took a turning point, right? So anyway, it was after that that he really saw a change in me, along with a lot of people. And I was like, I just felt more of a, of a calling. Bro, you don't, you don't get on Dean and then want to just abandon your friends and then start like new friends. You want to at least try to see if you could guide them, try to like yeah. give them some type of, of uh, insight. And then it's like, okay, after that, you know, you've done your job. If they're not going to budge, it is what it is. So I kind of told him, I was like, hey man, this is it. He had a lot of questions. Alhamdulillah. It just, it was very natural. Do you get me? It was, it was yeah. like, he had that inclination too. He had a lot of experiences with, with Salah, not Salah, sorry, with meditation. And he just felt guided to Islam. It was a very passive experience for him. It wasn't so passive for me. For him, it was like, he was guided. He just like kept seeing the Quran in his shelf. Like he just, he felt that calling, repeating numbers. You know what I mean? So yeah, he just kept feeling it and he Patterns. didn't resist it anymore. Exactly. Pattern. And time. he just went into it and he, he just felt it. He felt waves in his body and his spine. He, he had an intense experience and he had a lot of questions. A lot of people, once they're, they're at this stage, they still have questions. What about this common thing? What about that? What about this in some David Wood video? What about this um, argument or this, uh, you know, something about the conduct of the Prophet anything. And then Alhamdulillah, you know, we had a few discussions. I I told him, I was like, bro, we're going to, we're going to talk like here and there every now and then. We started talking like, I think four, five, six hours every night consecutively at some point. And it was at that point, I was like, there's no way like he's not after all this, right? And then at the end of it, you know, he was ready to do a shahada. Um, I think he was kind of delaying it, but I'm not going to lie. Like, um, I'm not going to say it was the right decision. I'm also not going to say it was the wrong decision because, again, we're still here where we are today. Alhamdulillah. But I was like, bro, what if you want to, like, be the perfect Muslim? Because he was saying he was saying typical stuff that most of my friends said before reverting. Like, oh, I want to at least finish the Quran. Bro, every time I heard that, I was like, what are you going to do after read Sahih Bukhari? Or like, it doesn't end, bro. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if you feel it, you could become learned, but it's like that, that line of becoming where you are, you're never going to get there. So if you really feel it, just you never know what's going to happen. Right. So it's air on the side of caution. So he was like, all right, bet I'm ready. Um, he became Muslim, alhamdulillah. This was in October of last year. And as soon as we were done, last year, I also was, I went to a, a trip to the mountains with an army. Right. This is um again at this point they still don't know each other because when you have friends, your friends might not necessarily know each other, right? Nah. So uh, me and Rami were like, we should start a podcast about Islam, but like more like modern day, right? And we never really pursued it or entertained it. It was just like a, a something we just put out into the universe. Now, after he became Muslim, I introduced him to Rami because you know Rami is has more knowledge about the deen than me. And I was kind of telling them to you know link up. And I just threw it out there, man. I was like, yo, we should start a podcast. And Anhel told me this. I remember. He's like, after speaking with Rami, it just goes to show how far I have to go and how much I don't know anything about Islam, at least compared to him. So because of that, I think we should wait. And I'm like, that's a good point because you don't want to start, you don't want to start, you know, giving dawah and trying to, you know, guide people to Islam if you don't know much. But at the same time, it's like, when is it time, you know? So why not yeah. just start? Well, I'll, I'll give you my sort of perception of your podcast. So for me, you've got a nice dynamic 
so you know you've and it, it looks as if we're sort of going on this journey with Angel, like in the process of learning and, and discovering and with you two brothers as well. And, you know, you, I think you, you bounce well off each other. So, you know, Angel, I, think, I, I don't think it's a bad idea that you, you started it because obviously you, you if he's, you, you've all got your different perspectives um, and Angel like, being new into this, He's giving you the perspective of, well, you know, I'd like to learn about this. Let's mm. do something on it. Um, you know, Rami, if he has his connections with um, this, that, or whatever person, and yourself as well, um, you can obviously interact with that and explore these questions and get answers and go through that process of learning with him. So it's um, it's an interesting dynamic you've got going on. And, uh, I'm glad you started your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so and that, then take that's his, like, his initial it, intuition on that. I, I told him like that instant, bro. I was like, bro, we're not gonna be like an Islamic podcast. We're gonna be a Muslim podcast. You get me? There's a difference. Yeah. And it's like, and he's like, he got that. And I was like, let's just start, bro. Like, it is what it is. Um, and then alhamdulillah, we didn't miss a single week. I think consistency is the name of the game. I already told him I was like, this is this is what we gotta do. Um, we did commit to one episode a week, but we didn't really like pick things up until we did two episodes a week and now we're doing three to five uploads a week so uh, you know it's um mashallah you so i am terrible with uh organization same and motiv- you don't get that impression bro because it, like it was you and um angel's videos as well from his uh he's got his own channel hasn't he yeah, bro. I'm listen. I'm I'm literally no different than anyone terrible. Like, you can't see my my desktop right now. I use four different apps to just make the thumbnails because I don't know anything. I don't know ish about graphic design or anything. I'm I'm a med student, bro. I have no experience with like any technical. You know, I'm really bad at technology too. So video editing. I didn't even know what iMovie was. So the story was, I of think, what? of iMovie or editing. Okay. iMovie is like that. that oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you said so, IMV. I was like, I don't nah, know. So, so I think Rami was, yeah, I don't mean to throw Rami under the bus, but it's a funny story. Rami wanted to edit our first video because I was like, okay, I'm going to do the thumbnails. I'm going to do all the audio streaming platforms, Patreon, all that. Angel is going to try to, you know, post a bit more, market a little more, you know, shit, you know, whatever. Rami knows more editing than all of us, right? Plus, when we're playing Call of Duty, bro, me and Angel are just, you know, doing normal people stuff. This man's using keyboard and mouse. So he's, <laughs> if you're a keyboard and mouse guy, you can edit the videos, right? So uh, it was fair enough. And apparently our little short 45-minute podcast took him, I think, 10 to 20 hours to just export. And I think his laptop kept freezing or something was happening. Bro, it was at that time, I was like, nah, bro, we, this is not going to work out. Like, we can't do this every week. This is, this, is, this is not how it's supposed to be because the actual file is like nothing if if you can't edit it in, right? So I got iMovie on my phone, bro. We we figured some stuff out and we just learned things along the way. I still yeah. use four different apps for um for the thumbnails. Could could I do it in one? Yeah, but Listen, for bro. me, it's it's more like I, I, I found, I figure out like a self-taught way of doing something and it's like, I just stick with it. I don't want to like, is, is there an easy way? Perhaps. But I'm kind of old-fashioned like that. Like I have a, I do online coaching too, right? For yeah. fitness, and a lot of my clients told me you should get Calendly, right? Because Calendly is like where you can book and you can, it's all automated. And then for me, I'm like, bro, I use my notes, like my iPhone notes app, yeah. and 
I literally put like day to day and they're like, bro, how do you do that? I'm like, it just, I could just erase it, add things. And they're like, bro, wouldn't you want Calendly? I downloaded Calendly, bro. It, to me, it just seems a little more complicated than just Well, that's the myself. thing when you get used to your own patterns and that, like stepping outside of that, it's just a lot more mm-hmm. effort sometimes. 100%, um, 100%. But like, I was going to suggest uh, just StreamYard, man. You need to get oh, a StreamYard we, we, account. We use, stream, we use StreamYard, yeah. We use it for uh, streaming and reactions. We don't really use it for recording podcasts. So you can do, you can set it up unlisted. Oh, yeah. Um, like we can record only two with, with StreamYard. It's just, yeah. we just, we just like Zoom for, uh, for that. I don't know why. We have both. Okay, okay. Marshall. Yeah, we, we, use, we use both. So our reaction videos are uh, StreamYard. Our live streams are StreamYard too. And then our actual episodes like this, we use Zoom. But I wanted to quickly uh, touch on, I got like five-ish, but I'll quickly go over the theory that me and Anho came up with. And this was through, I don't want to say like, again, we're not, we're not experts. We're not, we're not anything but just people trying to figure things out themselves, right? Yeah. But this is our theory. We have a theory that all mental illnesses right give or take i don't want to say like flipping alzheimer's with amyloid plaques in your brain that's a physiological thing that's not just psychological at that point right so i'm talking about most you know psych psyche related psychological disease of the mind not just like actual things so things that are i guess unseen they don't come up in brain scans so anxiety depression mild schizoaffective symptoms any type of bipolar right these are things that won't show per se, ADHD, right? So our theory is, and obviously the drugs sometimes decrease or increase these symptoms, right? So our theory is that all of these relate to energy, right? And, and this is something that's it's pretty unconventional to today. We, we talk about things in a very physical way. You need drugs, you need this prescription, right? So energy is just law of thermodynamics. It can't be created nor destroyed, only converted from one form to another. So if energy can't be created or destroyed, we have a very... I guess, abundant amount of energy that we carry within us as, as human beings, right? And the people that have these psychological symptoms, right, they just suffer and they were just born with an excess of this energy. Now, this doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them, right? Because the, the only thing making it, you feel like there's something wrong with it is society over-diagnosing and over-categorizing these mental yeah. disorders, right? They actually don't really exist in our opinion, but anyway, we're just, we just, we're just born with an excess amount of energy. You got ADHD, that's all it is. Your reticular activating system, that's the thing in your brain. It's just hyperactive, right? Yeah. So we have, a, we have a severely high excess amount of energy that we're not using because today, the modern, I guess, man, I hate to say it, but it's what it is, is very sedentary. We live very normal, sedentary, repetitive, desk job, nine to five lives. We don't really get up right? We're just, we're just in our seats all day and you're not using that energy. So what happens is this energy just keeps building up kind of like if you have sexual energy building up, right? You're not married. You don't want to do haram with yourself. So you're going to have a wet dream. If you're, you're just angry and you're just not doing anything about it, you're not discharging this anger in a, in a very mature and responsible manner or working out or something like that, you're just going to have a fit or rage or just yeah flip on someone right so similarly this this energy that we have building inside us when we're not using this energy right our body just does what our body normally does with anything 
see homeostasis or equilibrium it doesn't care how we feel if you want to puke it doesn't it doesn't ask you yusuf you're you're in a podcast right now or you're in a social setting maybe you might not want to puke it's just gonna make you want to puke bro same with if you eat something that you shouldn't right so yeah. it's the same thing with this energy it doesn't care how you feel it just knows efficiency so the organ in our body that uses the most energy than anything else is the brain so if the brain uses more energy than any other organ our body just knows that if we shoot all this excess energy to our brain then it could just get use just get rid of it and use it up and if it uses it then you will be brought back to homeostatic or equilibrium levels of energy where it's not excess anymore you're, you're at least normal kind of like if you're if you're too uh hot it makes you sweat so you just get rid of that heat so in a very same same similar way our theory is our body just wants to get rid of that energy so it, essentially it's an invitation to to any of the viewers right now that you should get rid of the energy first before your body tries to take over in a way or like have that wet dream analogy in a way so it's like yeah. before it sends all this shoots all this offset and surge of energy into your brain because once it does that it's too late then then you get all these symptoms of like an overactive brain of like brain fog depression anxiety ADHD, all this furthermore um what burns more calories or energy a positive thought or a negative thought it's obviously a negative thought right so you combine that your brain's like the most efficient machine once it gets into that feedback of using your brain to just get your energy levels at base, right? You got two days. If the first day you spend outside, right? Think of it like when you were with your, with your uh, shabab, with the boys, right? And you're just out here, just doing whatever, living life out here, primitive, just like you're in the moment, you're present, you're living life, you're vibing, right? How do you feel when you come home? You're good. You, you're, you're exhausted. You just go to sleep like a baby, right? Mm. Now compare this to a day where you're not doing that. You're in your bed thinking about nihilistic stuff. You think about the most depressing stuff. You're overthinking and negative thinking, right? I guarantee you this. You will feel more tired after the second day than you will after the first day. However, a lot of people think it's the opposite, right? They have this misconception that because I'm using more energy the first day, I'll feel more tired. Now, you will actually feel exhausted after the second day because you use your brain way more, right? So our invitation essentially is do that first before your body does that for you in a way. So this is literally what saved my and Angel's life because we used to, bro, our psychological symptoms weren't like anxiety and things. We had like dep like depersonalization and like derealization, like really bad symptoms, right? And what we started doing, normal stuff, bro, basketball, going outside for a jog, going outside for a walk, and we've been telling, alhamdulillah, a lot of people that reach out to us and we tell them the same thing. They do it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months max, and they feel normal again. And these are people that haven't felt normal for years, right? So any of you guys watching, if you do want any more info on what we're talking about, just hit us up on Insta or anything. But essentially that's our theory, right? It's not obviously like anything. Like yeah, so this kind of links truth. as well, funnily enough, you know, when I was talking about the Flatlanders stuff, Mm -hmm. So now in the story, the, the 2D creatures are only two-dimensional. Um, now, the more I was thinking about it, and when I was thinking about these other sort of experiences that I was talking to you about, um, the more I was starting to think maybe the reality of the story is, is the two-dimensional creatures are actually three-dimensional. 
and um, that their well, it's maybe their soul or their mind or whatever is the thing that grows up. And but because it's their mind or their soul, and they they see themselves as two D creatures that they they don't see that. Mm. And um, so so making the analogy now over to the human being, uh, the way I sort of conceptualize the human being and the relation between body and soul is this extra dimensional connection in that there is another direction that's not up down left right blah blah blah, blah. Um, but there's an element of the body that grows in this other direction and I, I, I sort of connected it to the brain as well in the same way that you were saying that a lot of the energy that goes to, it goes to your brain and this is true and it, it also helps to sort of make sense of this idea of these connections that you can get with people where when you're thinking about them, they seem to know you're thinking about them and they can get in touch with you. Or when I was, when I mentioned the story about me um, talking about um, the, when's your earliest memory? Like I was trying to visualize and it, like, I, I couldn't get this story out of my head, how if my mind was growing in this other direction and he was to see my thought, how, how would he be able to recognize that as mine? There, there would be no way. Hmm. And um so when you were talking there about like this excess of energy, it, it sort of links there to the, this idea. Cause I, I do think, cause you were, you are right. If you have too much of something, if you don't do something to vent it, you know, like the same way with the pot, if you don't like let the steam out, the pot's mm-hmm. going to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, if you've got a lot of pent up anger, if you don't do something to vent that, like you say, if, if there's no prior movement, um, consciously, then it's going to happen automatically, mm-hmm. and so you'll that'll be like an outburst. And then you're not in control anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, it, what you're saying there it makes it the only thing I would sort of maybe mention on. So you, you mm-hmm. refer to energy within a closed system. Um, it, it can neither be created or destroyed on top mm-hmm. of what's in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how do we relate that to Allah's power? Like, for example, we, we would say that creation, um, obviously, is, is created. Um, that the there's a sort of theological issue you just need to be a little bit careful of in regards mm. to if energy is itself, it, it's possible that it is created. It's just that we can't add anything to it. Yeah, we now. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the question is, is how does that energy relate to Allah's power? Because um, Allah is obviously eternal, and His power is um, eternal with Him, um, and so that there is this eternal power, and energy is sometimes described as power as well. It's this, you know, the potential for something, um, for work. Hmm. But, so there's just a thin line there that just, I guess we can think about it and maybe talk about it at another time. But just um, I would be careful of referring to energy as something that. You know the way you word it is um, yeah, important, yeah. but yeah, no. But what you're saying there, I would and say, obviously, like quick disclaimer, guys. If, if whatever I'm saying it doesn't, I'm not intending to you know contradict any you know authentic hadith or like yeah, you know, I don't think you will. Yeah, no, I never. Took it just that. it's just the way our anecdotal, I guess, limited subjective experience to try to rationalize and like explain why things are the way they are. Yeah, yeah and like yeah. it's again, it can only it's could could it be placebo? Who knows? But it's, it's worked for us it's worked for a lot of people alhamdulillah so yeah so it's pragmatic in that sense isn't it so mm-hmm. uh, yeah definitely and but the thing is is it does 
what you say is something that sort of connects so a few ideas that I've been running around in my head and um I would because the, the question here with regards to a lot of these things that we refer to as sort of mental illnesses is a question of what we consider to be normal or abnormal mm-hmm. um and a lot of the time it's like well who's deciding what's abnormal exactly and mm-hmm. you know especially with today's age and obsession of sort of mm-hmm. writing things down categorizing it putting everything mm-hmm. into specific boxes and calling things like illnesses like my brother he was someone who was my mum was told he had adhd mm-hmm. and they wanted to um hop him up on ritalin or whatever it is they give yeah. the kids and um when they told my mum she was just like anti this sort of mentality mm-hmm. completely i'm the little i was well because um he's he is a normal guy he was just someone who had like you were describing that like a lot of energy and he he needed ways of venting that and the environment that he was in just wasn't yeah. allowing that he needs like, a hunter trait yeah 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 yeah. yeah. yeah they, it's actually be... a gift you know yeah but it, it depends. makes it seem like it's not yeah it's like um if you put like if you're if you're judging a fish based on its ability to climb a tree yeah or fly like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be, then it'll be a useless fish. Then the yeah. person that's making the mistake here is the 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 one trying to get what something that's, that's that in, equivocation, yeah. Uh, in its own particular nature would thrive, and then trying to take it out of that. Like the classroom mm. is for a very particular kind of person. Mm. You, like you can't expect everyone to thrive in that environment, um, mm. and but just simply because they don't thrive in that particular environment, it doesn't mean they've they're a failure or that they're you know, there's something wrong with them. Half of the time, it's just a case of like how we've understood how an upbringing should take place. And Bro, I feel that because me and Anha, the, the amount of times we got, like our parents called for just not being in our seat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? So well, if, and the question here is like, what, is it really, really reasonable to expect every single child to mm. have to go through this sort of factory line setting where you're like the only thing everyone has in common is their date of birth their date of manufacture they go through the years like a conveyor belt Mm. and through this generalized method of study where all kids are just sort of treated the same everyone has to sit down in this classroom for x amount of days maybe there's one lesson a week which we'll call physical education which (laughs) is an hour if that um where they're doing something active and then for the rest of it we're expecting them to sit down listen to people that are what 50 to 60 70 percent of the time boring monotone voices hate their job in a state of repetitive they're underpaid they're overworked you know like and what you want the kids to listen to this man yeah it's uh it's not strange to think that certain people with excess of energy here wouldn't Mm -hmm. um thrive in that particular kind of environment but then Mm -hmm. you get my brother you put him into a rugby team and he was an absolute monster. And he 100%. was like charging through kids and uh, breaking arms. And like, <laughs> he, like in that environment, he thrived. And in that other, he didn't. And they I couldn't think... really see that. Yeah. They, they no. put the problem on him and diagnosed it as an illness. 100%, man. I was just going to add, actually, that, that that whole cliche that we, we were brought up with, the guy who's, who's stupid, you know, stuff yeah. but they're like, he gets bad grades. But like, he's good at gym. And then, you know, everyone's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You're good at gym. That's not what really matters. What really matters matters math and, like, science. It's like, what if that's just not for him? 
right? There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's this whole standardized system of, of baseless, I guess, standards. There's, there's, it shouldn't relate to everyone, right? We live in a one-size-fits-all society. Well, you know? it's, it's because it's effective. Um, effective in the sense that it's like, if you had a system that was um, taking every individual into account and trying mm-hmm. to play on the strengths of people, and didn't just look at them in terms of, oh, well, he was born in, you know, 1989 or 19, whatever. Um, that's That takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources in order to build a system that does that. It's a lot more effective in terms of costs and effort and energy to just make this sort of standardized system that treats children like products on a conveyor belt in a factory. The whole system itself is, is built on this sort of, um, you know, the industrial factory lines setting. Easy like, to mass influence too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so you just put things through this system, and it comes out of the other end, and you've got this like prepared individual. And those who don't happen to fit very well with that system are just sort of discarded to the sideline and, and considered um, ineffective or, or mm. problematic or this and that. Or deviant. But, yeah, but it's like. You know, some of the, like, say, for example, like my brother, if you'd have maybe found him a, an apprenticeship and put him into sort of like, you know, manual labor instead of through this high school system, and maybe obviously there's certain things that are important. So there was like an hour or two hours a day that was set aside for learning other subjects like maths and English or science. Um, maybe that would have been a lot more effective, having him work hands-on you know, getting sweaty, you know, using strength and, you know, having to engage with things rather than just like sit there and think about all these abstract notions and (laughs) looking at writing on a, on a whiteboard, but like getting his hands dirty, that maybe that would have been like a million times. It's it's not like he's doing bad for himself now. Alhamdulillah, he's got his own like uh, food business and he's, he's running, you know, he's doing things with his hands. But see, exactly. Yeah. Uh, He's, uh, and he's thriving in it. He's doing really well. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and it's just, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. There's, his, his, his personality type, or just, I guess, just even his biochemistry, it's more like a kinesthetic learner. I mean, they're not yeah, yeah. the typical student, you know, in a, in a classroom setting. It's not going yeah, 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 to work. Yeah. They, they, they work better with like hands-on. There's, there's people with ADHD. They, they comprise of the overwhelming amount of people in trades, right? And like skills. And there's people that are like more like it's, better. It starts like, to sound just like a personality type than a disease isn't it it's like mm-hmm. yeah exactly and, and that's all it is bro if, if Allah made us you know in all these different ways it's not because you know, I don't know the society they don't have Islam right so yeah yeah any any more uh, thoughts on your mind before we wrap this one up yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to sort of bring it back so we were talking about drugs before perfect and I was telling people about um, the experiences that I had on them etc so mm-hmm. I, I just want to really like put emphasis on here um, I don't want to make it seem like I was um, beautifying that at all because it really isn't. It's, it's an ugly scene um, and it's one of the, I would say, major contributing factors to a lot of the problems that we're having um, on earth today. And um, like Allah in the Quran, when he talks about alcohol, he says there may be some benefits in it, but it's negatives outweigh. And he's talking here about intoxic- intoxicants. He says there may be there may be benefits, but its negatives outweigh the, the benefits, and so you should avoid it. Now that there's there is something similar here with things like drugs, 
So, you know, there are things that um, you, you can talk about that are quote unquote positive experiences, but the negatives completely outweigh them. The addictive behavior that sort of comes carried along with that, um, the, you know, the, the negative consequences that it has on things like your personality, on um, the way you, you deal with the world and the, the impacts it can have on the wider society. In your wallet, bro. Yeah, on, on, yeah, on your wallet and but on, on the community. So like like my dad, him dabbling in drugs. Um, one thing, yeah, took a huge toll on his wallet. Um, he struggled to keep a job. Um, he got into things like stealing in order to make up the funds that he didn't have because he was spending it on a drug. Um, it you know had a massive impact on his family. It killed him in the end. You know his relationship with his wife with his children was um you know that affected heavily because of that and I, I see the same thing happening with a lot of my friends so not everyone's on heroin some people do cocaine and you see the, a similar thing it's money it's addictive it has these horrible impacts on things like their behavior their personality um things like cocaine cause people to become like egomaniacs almost especially when they're on it um, and then these other drugs, like even the ones that I was mentioning, weed, uh, there's huge impacts and th there's always going to be the exception to the case. There's, you know, you're, you're going to get your Joe Rogan's like, oh, man, I'm, you know, a millionaire. Look at me. You know, I'm healthy and I go fighting and I do this and I smoke weed. It's like, yeah, but bro, you're like a, a tiny exception to the rule. Like the majority of people when they're young and they get on this sort of stuff, they they have increased chances of things like um you know paranoias and schizophrenia and things like this and th there seems to at least be some sort of correlation here between certain types of behavior being accentuated when you take these kind of things and then they're, they're really not necessary now they, they say sometimes and this is a common mantra in western society that oh you need to let them make their own mistakes no you don't you don't need to make your own mistakes. A wise man can learn from the mistakes of someone else. Now, you can get an insight into the, the quote-unquote, the positives of these things by hearing about other people's experiences and about what they took from that. That doesn't mean you have to experience that yourself. You don't have to murder someone and to go through the profound guilt and shame that might be associated with the realisation that what you've done is wrong in order to understand the wisdom behind the rule that you shouldn't murder people. Like, yes, I can guarantee that if you did it and felt all the negative impacts, that there would be a lot of lessons to be learned from that. But it doesn't follow that you need to, that everyone needs to make that mistake. And it's the same things like drugs, psychedelics and stuff like that. There are mad experiences that you can have on these things. Some of them can be incredibly interesting. Some of them can be pleasurable. Some of them can be, um, insightful but it, it's you know it, it doesn't follow from that that you need to have these things as well and that you you need to come out of that, that um, in order to abstract whatever wisdom there may be within that and there's a warning as well be wary of wisdom that's unearned mm -hmm. like, what the buddhist call it right yeah, yeah don't be aware of unearned wisdom and with these drugs and things like that you, you get these mad little insights um and, but it's not the only way to achieve these insights. Uh -huh. There are alternative methods. And 
you know that that is through things like reading like picking up books like even just reading the accounts of people that have gone through this you you can abstract wisdom from these experiences that other people have had you don't you know subhanallah we live in a world where people are taking this all over the place and they're writing about their experiences they're doing youtube videos and their experiences you don't need to go through that in order to whatever wisdom there may be in that to have to take from it um you know you know you don't need to become an alcoholic mm-hmm. to figure Put out why alcohol, being alcoholics yeah. are bad um and yeah and it's just you know you you can get the best of both worlds by not doing it and just studying that kind of stuff. Like you mm. can like listen to today's discussion um, that we've had. Alhamdulillah, it's been a really interesting one. Um, but, you know, in, inshallah, you maybe can have taken something from my telling you about my experiences with it. Um, and maybe inshallah, you can understand why you don't need to, to go down the route of having to take these things as well. Forget that FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out crap. There's, you know, enough people that, subhanAllah, I'm, I'm trying to think now about the times that I've peer pressured people into taking drugs. Bro, don't the, get me the, started. Yeah, the guilt that I have now thinking mm-hmm. back, like these innocent souls that just had never touched weed, never I done And I beautified it to them and took them on this journey and like, and I made it look nice and I painted it in all sorts of pretty things. And because yeah, like, I, I, I was, yeah, I mean, I mean, and like I was so familiar with that experience that I, I was very good at bringing people into it that had never done it before and making it an amazing thing, making it an enjoyable experience for them by like, you know, knowing what sort of things cause negative reactions and stuff like that and how to facilitate a good time. Um, but other than that, like I regret that so much now because it's like it's an it, it was an act for the most part. It's like yeah, in certain environments, in certain conditions, in certain contexts, I can take you on this sort of particular kind of journey. But when things get dark and this thing's a part of your life, this thing doesn't help overcome that. Mm. This thing doesn't help you to to take the steps that you need in order to be able to overcome certain. Um, problems certain issues in life um and so yeah I, I don't mean to sound like i'm beautifying it it's the complete opposite i'm trying to give you an insight into something so that you don't have to go and take it yourself um and i really do want to emphasize that these things are incredibly dangerous um and just not worth the time effort and money that you're going to end up investing in it if you do ever start to dabble in it um it's you know islam is a shield for the believer and you like just the same as interest and things like that. Yeah, if you took out a loan with interest, maybe you could start a business and become a millionaire. Maybe there's lots of benefits that could come out of that. Um, but, you know, there's always exceptions to these rules and you're not guaranteed to be someone who has this amazing experience out of it. It's mm-hmm. incredibly dangerous and the chances are more likely the case that you're going to be someone who ends up at the, the butt end of the the you know, the realm of possible experience. Um, and it's just really not worth that risk. And the consequences that it has on the people around you um, is, you know, terrible. Like my dad made little decisions to start taking certain kind of drugs. Um, eventually it killed him and it had a huge impact on his three children, on the woman that he loved, um, on his family. You know, his dad was still alive when he passed, his brother, his sisters, 
his cousins, you know, all those people around him that loved him. Um, why? Because he wanted to dabble in something and he didn't see anything wrong and the people around him beautified it. Uh, and then subhanAllah, that's had a huge impact on the life of everyone who cared for him. Um, so it's, it's just not worth the risk. And like I say, you can abstract whatever wisdom is there potentially from just reading about it. Um, you don't need to take it. Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to end on that because it felt like important and I didn't want to... And just a khair for all the wisdom, all the insight, all these these golden nuggets of uh, of just wisdom that even I'm I've benefited so much, man. That's why I wasn't talking too much in this episode, and especially the last one we did with you, because yeah, sorry, I do ramble. I oh, I love learning, bro. I'm all uh-huh. for that. Yeah, I didn't feel I that mean, one I bit. Can't... Like I feel like teachers and profs ramble, bro, because I'm not really engaged, but I felt very engaged. Alhamdulillah. I need to learn to talk less though, and I keep forgetting. <laughs> and then just mm. going on these huge uh, 10 hour spiels but yeah no Jazakallah for having me on it's been a, a pleasure it's uh, a weird dynamic to going from watching your podcast to being on it so uh, thank you for inviting me it's been a pleasure talking to both you and Rami and, likewise, uh, likewise. I, think the, I think the audience should look forward to uh, the TAP and T3M collab inshallah yeah inshallah. I look forward to that as well we need to um have finished that discussion i think that in, yeah we, for we sure having it and then we're good this week next week too so we'll make it happen inshallah inshallah but yeah all right here for the time man oh, yeah. allah grant you a long successful life and you of just I mean. continuing to influence a lot of people keep doing your work being a great father and inshallah. man if there's anything else just don't hesitate to let me know yeah it's same for you bro stay in touch and uh jazakallah assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Take care. Yeah,